We are in John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21, uh, particularly verse 16. Uh, that's on page 888 in the Bibles on the seats in front of you if you'd like to use that. So John chapter 3, verses uh, 16 to 21. We're mainly stick around verse 16, though. <clears throat> Obviously, this text is um, probably the most famous in Scripture. There's no text more well-known in the world um, regarding our scriptures than this one, especially verse 16. And so if you don't know anything about the Bible, you've probably heard, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I think the reason it's so well-known is because it talks about God's love, right? What better news is there than that God loves this world and gave his son. It's a wonder. It's a joy. It's awesome. Now that great love of God um, took particular shape. It's not sentiment. It's not just uh, poetic drivel. This love of God motivated him to give his son. And so this is a Christmas text. It's a giving text for God. It's love the world that he gave What did he give? He gave his only son, his only begotten son. And so love motivated Christmas. Is there any better text than to prepare us for Christmas than this? And so my hope is that by the grace of God, we can see this very well-known text and see in it the glory of God and his love and giving his son. So let's uh, ask God to bless that now. Let's pray. Father, help us as we even now read your word, to have faith, to receive it, um, to embrace deep in our bones the reality of your love. And so, God, please help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I'd like to begin by us considering um, what we read in Hebrews 5. In Hebrews 5, we have the author of Hebrews challenging God's people uh, regarding their maturity. He says that he would rather feed them some solid red meat, but they're only yet ready for milk. They should by this time be able to teach and lead others, shepherd others, but because of their immaturity, they they can't have milk. I think sometimes we misunderstand what the milk is. This is something that Christians talk about. We need some milk or solid food and so on. Milk in Hebrews 5 isn't referring to passages like John 3.16. Milk there isn't talking about more basic simple biblical truth and meat isn't referring mainly to deeper 
theology. Um, the milk versus the meat is really about our maturity in Christ. It's about whether or not we moved on from the sin that we've struggled with or been involved in our, our entire life. And what he's rebuking them for is that they continue to, especially in the book of Hebrews, divide, to fight amongst themselves, to rebel against church authority. To, um, and, and so because of their perpetual sin, they, they just won't move on from it. They're not ready yet for leadership. They're not ready for more responsibility. They just need milk. They need to be nursed yet. They're babies. So I just wanted to say that right out front because this isn't a milk passage. This is a feast. This is ham. (laughs) This is the main course. You can never outgrow this. Um, And so I was thinking as I was looking at this verse and considering you hearing it, you've heard this so many times, there's going to be a couple areas that you might be tempted as you hear this, just to not give it the ear that, that we should. We're here sitting at the feet of God, speaking about how he loves the world and the giving of his son, and that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that's staggering. But we might have heard that before and kind of be dull to it. We might not feel the worth of this passage. So I just want to challenge you. Don't be careful there. Don't ever get dull of hearing to these verses that you hear so often, which are the wonder of wonders in all the Bible. I think it's a sad thing when we lose our kind of childlike wonder at the most awesome realities in Scripture because we've heard it before. I think that says more about us, doesn't it? Doesn't that say more about you? So take care of your heart. Maybe it's a good time now to ask God to forgive you for the hardness, the dullness. And so we can sometimes become very self-important, can't we, in regards to Scripture? I know that. I've heard that before. And we can't giggle with kindergartners anymore at the wonder of God's love. And so let's be more like six-year-olds this morning in regards to this passage. A second consideration in coming to this text is that it does speak about God's love for the world. Some have, some of you, I know, have a very difficult time believing that God loves you. You see in this text that God so loves the world, but what about me? You can believe that God loves the world, and, and if somebody asked you if you knew that God loved you, you'd say yes. But you really don't. Or at least you struggle to believe it for yourself. Um, again, I just want to simply challenge you. God's love for you doesn't change or increase or decrease based on whether or not you um, can believe it for yourself. It just is. Um, and, and likely that kind of lack of reception of God's love for you um, 
this might sound hard, but it's just our pride, isn't it? I'm not good enough. I don't do enough. You don't know what I'm like. You hear a lot of me in that, don't you? You think God's love is determined by you. You think God's love for you is based upon your performance. You compare yourself with other believers, right? A wife compares herself with other wives, or a mom compares herself with other moms, or you go over to another person's house and you see how nice it is, and yours isn't so nice, and it's just all about how you fall short, which is just all about you. And you can't read this text and be all about you, can you? You can't come to this text and, con- and continue to look at yourself. You are in this text, and you are in this text because God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life is life with God forever. It's knowing God's love forever, and this is true for you. So I would like to impress upon your soul that God took the initiative here. God so loved the world. He's the husband here pursuing the bride. He's the father beginning in love, begetting in love his dear children. So get over yourself. Get beyond yourself. I don't know what your life has been like. I don't know what you've faced. I, I don't. But it isn't going to do you any good to stew in it. Look to God here. Stop comparing. Stop looking inwardly. Have the faith to receive these simple words. So let's look at this gift. Let's look at this gift. Uh, Men who love much will give much, Charles Spurgeon says. You can measure the height of love by what one is willing to give to sacrifice. And here we read that The kind of love God has for us is the kind that will not even spare his only son, but is willing to spend him, to give him, to accomplish our eternal life. This is love. This is a problem in our world. Love is no longer evaluated by action, by what it's willing to sacrifice, but by sentiment been listening to a podcast of Bernie Sanders and how loving he is and willing to spend all of our money to give. It's not love. God isn't like that. He doesn't tax his people and then spend what they've given. He gives the ungivable. He gives the irreplaceable. He gives what would break any of our hearts to give. In World War II, it was petitioned for four sons to be able to serve on the same ship, and they all did in the South Pacific, and all four perished when that ship was torpedoed. The U.S. Armed Services after that instituted a policy um, that if there was one sole remaining son who survived, the other son's being killed, he would 
be able to come back to the States and be put on some kind of administrative duty to spare the family that kind of sorrow. That's love. But none of us have ever had such a son as the Son of God. Jesus Christ has been one with the Father from all eternity. They have dwelt together in heaven for all time in perfect love and mutual care and concern. The Father's gift of his Son is the giving of himself. What more could he give? Is there anything greater that God in heaven could give for you and for I and for this world? There is nothing higher, there's nothing more costly, there's nothing more dear to the Father than his Son. Would you so readily command your son to give his life as God the Father commanded his son? Would you? Yet the great God in heaven, the creator and sustainer of all things, so loved the world that he did not spare his only son so that he might spare He sent his son of this earth to take on all the weight of our sin, of the sins of his people, so that you and I might not experience hell. So that we may not know his wrath, but have everlasting life. How often did you think on this love last week? How often did you go to this truth to comfort you or to settle your anger or to fight off your anxiety? That's what this is for. So this text is for. Or, when you sinned this past week, was this where you went? Why do we as believers so little think on this love? Why won't we go there? How about teens this morning? Do you have in your thought life, the reality, there is a heaven and there is a hell. Are you considering that you will exist forever and that you will exist forever either in eternal life at God's, in God's heaven or you will exist forever apart from God in hell? I wonder if this is any part of your life. Do you go to bed at night wondering, even considering, that there is a God who created you, that you owe everything to, and that you will stand before one day as your judge, and that your sin has earned you an eternity apart from him? Does that weight fall on you at all? And that God, unwilling for you to be separated from him forever, to remove the offense, and it is an offense. It is more offensive than what your sibling did against you this past week. It is more offensive than what your teacher did against you this past week. That your offense before the holy God, he, he spent his son to remove that. And all you can do is live for yourself right now. What's wrong with your heart and your mind that you would continue like that? That you'd continue in rebellion against your parents? That you'd continue in 
rebelling against all the authority in earth, just living for yourself, just living for what you want to do, so foolish, and yet here is heaven and hell based on whether or not you believe in the Son of God set before you. So I'd urge you, consider this. Or maybe parents, just think about here God the Father settling the, setting the model for us as of parenting. God sent his son to be spent for the good and the salvation of the world. That's why God gave you kids. Your kids have been given to you, mom, not to mainly protect from all harm, but to get ready to be spent for the good of this world. Your children have been given you to be raised up and sent out to be dangerous in this world, not to be constantly coddled and protected from it. We don't raise our children so they can get along in this world, so they can make a little money and have a nice little house and just exist. We are given children so that they can give themselves in this world for this world to be an offense to them, for this world to take offense at them. They might not do great things, but will they do Christian things? This is God setting the model for us. But we won't know that unless we know this love of God. That's what we got to start with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting love. So this is the love of God. This is the love of God in salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. Can you hear that? This is God speaking. This is God himself speaking. He is saying, if you believe in me, you will not go to hell, but you will go to heaven. Isn't it so kind of God that he hasn't made salvation difficult to understand. Don't you get so sick of subtlety in this world that people just won't say at work? They just won't say. They beat around the bush so often. Oh, it's so frustrating. I remember once one of my elders in a previous church saying, subtlety's kind of lost on you, isn't it? <laughs> I wanted to punch him right in the face. Just, just say it. Please. And here is God saying it. He's not cryptic. He doesn't write it in riddles. Whoever believes is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's clear. So, what's our problem? Look at verse 19. Light is coming to the world. People love darkness. Why? Because their works are evil. <laughs> Just look at the language here. People loved darkness. We love it. It's our affection. It's our motivation. 
Why do we love darkness? Why do we hate light? Why do we hate Christ? Because we like our sin. Because we want to keep it hidden. Because darkness allows us to continue to do these things that we want to do in heart. We want to keep them hidden. We want everybody to think that we don't have them. Externally, we want people to think that we're in the light, that we're good and righteous and, and, and nice. And, but, but we want behind the scenes, in the darkness, we, we want the darkness so that we can continue to do that which God hates. We love it. It's our heart. You love it. You want heaven and your sin. You, you want the rewards of Christ's death on the cross, but you, you can still continue to still want to do what you can do when nobody else is watching. This is what Christ came to save you from. He came to change your affections, to change what you love. He didn't come to get you to give a little bit more money or get you to come to church. He came to take out that heart that loves darkness and implant in you a heart that loves light, that loves him, that loves holiness, that loves his people, that wants heaven. It's a miracle. It's not a work you can do. This is salvation. We are perishing And apart from the strong help of Jesus Christ, we will perish. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It is a work of God from beginning to end. And it's all about Christ. Faith in Christ is the issue here. Whoever believes. It's not a work. Whoever believes. Our works are evil. They can't save you in verse 19. Your works are evil, even your good works. There's only one thing that can save you. Faith in Jesus. What's faith? You ever ask yourself that? What's faith? How would you define faith? It's a hard word to define. There's typically said to be three parts to faith. One, you have to agree that what you're talking about is true or that what you're hearing is true. You have to assent to it. That, that, that this is true, that God is God, that he, he's triune, that he has a son who is fully God, that this son took on human flesh, that he became flesh, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, and that God sent him to the cross as a substitute sacrifice for you, and that he paid the penalty due you for your sin, that he raised from the dead, rose from the dead, that he ascended to heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God. You have to ascend that that is true. That it's a fact. And that, that's going to cost you. You know that. Because if you believe that, and you might as well believe in the jolly green giant. What a joke. The world hates this. But, but if you're going to be a Christian, you have to give hearty assent to it and agree with all that you are that it's right. That it's real. Second, you have to accept it for yourself. You have to come to believe that apart from Jesus Christ, you have no hope. That Christ is your Christ. That his death on the cross is your death on the cross. 
You have to come to believe it for you. Okay, kids, your parents' faith in Jesus doesn't count for you. Brothers and sisters, you must have your own faith. You must believe it for yourself. And that, and that Christ's sacrifice is sufficient and full and nothing else needs to be done. No confirmation class. Right? No baptism. No amount of Bible memory at Awana. No works of your own. Nothing but Christ is your acceptance with God. You must believe this. You then finally and fully, you must entrust your entire life to this. The story is told of a missionary translating the Bible into a tribal language that didn't have the Bible yet and just could not find a word in their language that communicated this idea of faith, this idea of entrusting, resting your whole being on Christ. It happened during this struggle, I don't know about that day, but in the days and weeks and months around it, that as this missionary was thinking about this, one of the uh, natives came exhausted from whatever work he was doing and fell fully onto a hammock, resting all his weight upon it. And the missionary said, what's the word for what you just did? What, what word would you use to describe just falling with all your weight, exhausted onto that? That's what this means. That's what faith is. You don't kind of preserve part of your balance for yourself and give part to Christ. It's, it's all or nothing. You're either leaning all into Christ or you're not. You must love him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength or not. That's faith. You have to believe that it's true. You have to believe it for yourself. And you have to put all of your weight onto it. It's dependence. So in regards to this, do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Now, I do want to be careful here. You're not saved by the amount or the quality of your faith either. It's not about the faith. Faith is about the object. Okay? Faith needs a direct object. It's the quality of the direct object of your faith that is the point, and it's Christ. And so do you see in Christ the quality to lean all that you are on him? Lastly, I want to impress on you what Christ has provided for you, eternal life. Christ has made available to you life forever. Every human being knows that they are not a spark who will one day be extinguished. You and I will go on living forever. God has written eternity in the very marrow of our bones. And uh, Christ alone is your entrance into that life forever. There's a story of a preacher addressing prisoners in chains who are all under the sentence of death. They deserved it. Murderers and so forth. They appeared utterly hopeless, and many thought the preacher wasting his time. 
it is never a waste of time because we're talking about eternal life or eternal death. And Christ has provided us eternal death. And here we see in this text this wonderful word, whoever. Isn't that wonderful? Whoever. It doesn't matter if you're a male or a female. Whoever. Doesn't matter if you're white or black or brown. Whoever. Doesn't matter whether you made it out of the 8th grade or the 18th grade. Whoever. Doesn't matter if you look in the mirror and don't like yourself. Whoever. Doesn't matter your income. Whoever. It doesn't matter your past. Whoever. Doesn't matter the amount or the grotesqueness of your sin. Whoever. Doesn't matter how your father treated you or how your husband or wife is treating you. Whoever. It doesn't matter your beauty, anything. Whoever. Whoever comes to Christ will be given eternal life in heaven. God is glad to give whoever comes to his son this life forever. God is glad to do it. God is glad to do it. He is not begrudging. He's like Scrooge after his transformation. If you give yourself to Christ, or if you have given yourself to Christ, you have been given eternal life. Please get this into your head. It's eternal. It can't be lost. It's eternal. It's, it's eternal. It's, you can't undo it. It's eternal. You get it? It's not temporal. It's not for a, a little while. It's not a two-year or a 200-year contract. It's eternal. He's a liar if it's anything but that. And God is not a liar. He has in of his son given you life forever. You will be with him forever if you have Christ. And it's not because you're good. It's not because you're strong. It's because God has given it. You will be disappointed this Christmas that you didn't get something that you wanted. You will never be disappointed in this. You cannot even imagine or think what God is preparing for those who love him. So long as Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, you have the Father, and so you have life forever. Let's pray. Father, what can we do but say, wow, thank you. What a joy, what a delight, what a God, what a height of love. What a depth of loss you gave your son for us. Teach us to have faith to believe this, to receive it as children, to enjoy it, to delight in it. Teach us to sing because of it. God, help us to love this. Help us to love you as given us your son. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.